Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. So the Springboks make history with their fourth World Cup title and England come home with bronze medals. We'll look back at our favourite moments from the tournament and look ahead at what's next for Steve Borthwick and his men. Here to help guide us through all of that, of course, is the delightful Sarah Elgin. And from the Evening Standard, it's Steve Cording. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello, Lawrence. Hello. How are you? Fresh? <laughs> After the weekend? I'm feeling fresh, fresh. and fit. How, mu- how much sleep have you had in the last uh, 48, oh, 72 listen, hours? It's, it's been, a very, oh, listen, it's been a very tiring World Cup for Sarah, for everyone who's been working. It's not all fun, 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 is it, really? But Saturday night, it was fun yeah, for exactly. Sarah. It did, it did well, occasionally, you have to... Celebrate like you won the World Cup yourself, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say, I'm feeling a bit blue this today. With Are you? Not, no games to look forward to. It just feels like it's, it's yeah, been such a great that. tournament, hasn't it? And now it's finished. It just. Uh... I've got to be honest, it has been a great tournament, but it's been a long tournament. Mm-hmm. I think we're all in agreement that nine weeks is just too long. Um, Was it you know, nine weeks? In nine weeks for players is too long. Yeah. Wow. Nine weeks for fans, the livers. You know, they're not designed for that sort of behaviour. Really. <laughs> you, can't, you can't cope with constantly being at it. Um, oh. Sarah, all that travelling to him. All that travelling. But I'm just delighted that I have made it back, as you said, nine weeks later. I know I've been back and forth. But I do not look like a baguette, a piece of cheese or a glass of rosé. So actually, I'm winning at life. Thank you well, very it, much. Yeah, it shows you how long the tournament was. It started in boiling heat and you were all getting soaked. On Absolutely. Oh, the weather was exactly. brutal, wasn't yeah. it? And listen, France did brilliantly. I thought they hosted an amazing tournament I'll be honest with you as a host of a tournament in 2015 where we went out nice and early we did continue to host the tournament I thought the French sort of left their assignment a little bit well, <laughs> once their team went out <laughs> and this is no blame on the players but the, the general mood understandably in, in France went completely down <laughs> and um they had no coaches or players who turned up to the World Awards dinner at the end. I saw uh, that. They had, uh, their fans continued to turn up at games because they couldn't offload their tickets, clearly. <laughs> and just and, to boo the and teams and that and were just, playing. And just booed, <laughs> booed the referee, booed the teams that played. Uh, oh, and uh, yeah. No, I had a Kiwi mate, Sean, who went to the game and he did say that Friday and Saturday, he said the atmosphere was pretty flat outside. He said they, they still On managed Saturday? to find, yeah, he said they still oh, managed okay. to find yeah. quite a few Kiwis that were around, but he said generally it didn't yeah. feel like it could he went to the first game which obviously was against yeah. the French and he said then it was absolutely bouncing yeah I was sitting there at one point in the final looking around and I thought the atmosphere was pretty good in the stadium yeah I agree but, I agree. But I mean, outside I did, the stadium oh, yeah. but I was sitting there at one point and I was like oh my gosh how amazing would this atmosphere have been if it was I don't know say Ireland and France can yeah. you imagine given yeah. the support that the Irish were over but uh, you know I enjoyed it I thought it was an amazing experience yeah. I loved a bit of Mika at the top yeah, do you know what it's the first time we're not quite at the Super Bowl status yet but I thought it was good where, where they've yeah. had a band a, yeah. a you know, world renowned 
performing artist, band, whatever, actually at the World Cup. So credit to World Rugby or the French for organising that. Yeah, we, we had the um, the stadium announcer in front of us, Sarah, who oh, was, who was nice. on the touchline. That's he nice a, for you. He was, only, he was only a tiny guy, but, <laughs> but the energy that he created. <laughs> was um, it exhausting? I mean, I was watching him, he was thinking, wow, I mean, what is he up to? I mean, give, I him, noticed it as give well. him credit. I mean, I thought there was a whole team behind this. There was oh, one man on the yeah. side. Yeah, fair play uh, to him. You're right there. Yeah, you are right yeah. there. Um, shall I introduce our special guest? then shall I naturally it only seemed right and proper given the weekend's result that we welcomed former Springbok onto the pod it's Bobby Skinstad how are you doing Bobby how hard have you been celebrating since Saturday well it's been a funny one because I was doing some media I only finished late and I was just worried about trying to play catch up because I've tried that before and then I ended up upside down by Sunday morning so <laughs> I, t- I took it easy on Saturday but then we had a, a the traditional South African family bride home on Sunday to, to celebrate with family so that was really good fantastic the scenes in South Africa, uh, I mean, they look incredible as the Springboks arrive home. I mean, how did the nation receive the news? How did they? How were they celebrating, I guess? Oh, I mean, I think I must have seen a thousand videos. It was incredible, you know, because different people were watching in different places. They opened some of the, the shopping malls. They put, you know, big screens up for, for people who don't have pay television. They, I mean, it was incredible. So lots of people together celebrating. And, and when that happens, as you know, then you create m- momentum and, and you don't stop. You know, Lol's been on a couple of uh, bus parades around <laughs> and he knows exactly what it's like. So I think they've got that ahead of them now, but they've already had two days of celebrating. I saw Ibn Etzebeth's hairstyle and I think maybe there were some errors in judgment being made after a few celebrations. <laughs> After a few celebration beers. <laughs> let's hope they remember. I'm not sure Lol remembers many of his best no, tours. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, um, let's start. Let's talk about the final then. I don't really know where to start, Bobby, to be honest. But it obviously came down to just one point. Um, I don't think anyone would have predicted how it played out. Three yellow cards, one red, a disallowed try. There was so much going on. As a South African, how did you feel watching that first as a fan? Yeah, look, I mean... <sighs> I certainly don't celebrate beating anyone because of a red card. So let's just put that out there. I, I, I didn't feel that the, the cards were equal. Um, I felt sorry for Sam Kane. I think he's a gentleman of the game. I don't think uh, Wayne Barnes had anything to do with that. That, that decision goes away into a bunker. We, we, we see a, pe- a few people deliberating, but and then the call comes back. So there were no secret uh, South African agents in the bunker. Uh, you know, you can't, I can't blame the players on the field. I do feel that both of them were a yellow, not both of them were a red. I think Jesse Creel changed direction so quickly that Sam Kane probably couldn't get down into a tackle pose, although he was, and Matt Dawson actually reminded me, he remained very, very high for the contact point. With Sia Khaleesi's one, he came from a long way out. He was tackling a guy at the back of the lineup. But if you watch what happened, his head hits the ball, which is in the guy's possession, and then bounces up and hits his head. So I don't think either of them were intent-driven take those out of the way, then the game was great. You said a disallowed try. It's not really a disallowed try because it's a knock-on before anything's happened. So, you know, six phases before and six passes before the ball's knocked on at the line. I called it because it was on our side. I said, hold on, he's knocked that on at the end of the, at the line. I didn't realize it was a penalty. It was knocked out of his hands, but I just saw the knock-on. So I was hoping they would go back when they did. And they always do these days. I think New Zealand had more running in them in that middle section of the game. If they'd used that, they probably would have got a, another try maybe and or at least some territory enough to to get more than just a long-range kick 
And then you look at South Africa, I've got to take my hat off. The defence was unbelievable. I mean, four words for me, Peter Steff de Toy. What I would have given to play with a guy like that. I mean, I avoided tackles for 15 years. You know, you can imagine you have a guy like that. I, That's why I you look like that, to make Bobby. One. That's why you look like that. Lol looks like he looks. Exactly. I, try, I tried <laughs> to avoid goodness. him, but sadly couldn't for some reason. I mean, first of all, congratulations to Bobby and the Springboks. I mean, an amazing... Uh, amazing game you know we've been treated in this Rugby World Cup to, to some s- stunning rugby also played by South Africa versus France in the quarterfinal but uh, I just think it was enthralling wasn't it because uh, when you looked at South Africa coming into this game their, their World Cup record they'd won three finals they've got such an impressive record but to win a quarterfinal by point a semi-final by point you know both in the last few minutes of the game there was obviously written in the stars really before we mention any of the players just the coaches deserve enormous credit because they they had some seriously brave coaches calls throughout the whole tournament and oh, big and I mean some to the outsiders including myself at times some baffling choices that they were making in their selection completely against the grain of logical thinking but clearly for them they were logical and, you know I think they deserve incredible credit for the innovation I think for the courage um, the strength I think the commitment and their vulnerability really and the Springboks have there, there was a sort of an acceptance uh, and a sort of comfort that no one's going to like us in this tournament, um, <laughs> and that's okay. We're happy to play the villains uh, because everything we're doing is is for the purpose of the team. And you know, I'd like to say to Bobby, you know, of all the World Cup successes, and listen, it's now four finals that South Africa have won. Is this probably the greatest ever achievement? Because I don't think I've known a World Cup that's so competitive. We've always gone into a tournament thinking it's South Africa, New Zealand, maybe. England have got a chance, maybe one or two others. But Australia, it's the most competitive World Cup we've ever seen. South Africa had to play Scotland, Ireland, which they lost, but they practised their 7-1 bench in that game and they kind of, you know, were preparing for later on in the tournament. I think to have beaten, you know, France, the hosts, which is probably the hardest, you know, game of any competition in the way that they did. Then to beat an incredibly strong England side and then the All Blacks. I think it's the best ever World Cup victory, Bobby. Would you not agree? Uh, Lol, I completely agree. I mean, I think it completely overshadows any of the other ones, you know, going back to back and away from home and being able to play out, you know, like those top six in the world, like you said, you know, play all of the other top five in a tournament, literally. I mean, World Cups, as you know, good teams go into them and good teams go out to them. You know, you don't always get as far as you want to. I mean, I've been in a World Cup far more confident than the World Cup that I won. You know, we had a, in in 99, we had a team that should have gone a lot further than it did. We went out to an extra time drop goal from Stephen Larkham. And, you know, that's heartbreaking. But you realize that how much of these World Cups is on a knife edge. And this one was just a little bit different because those knife edges, some of them happen in the quarterfinals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and then the world sort of looks on and goes, oh my goodness, how can it get better? And I think maybe the one thing I have to say is that for the final, you know, whatever happened in that final was going to be big because it was such a sort of long build up to, oh my goodness, can they do it? They've sort of scraped once, they scraped through again, they scraped through, but they never looked like they were a team being well beaten by everybody. They looked like a team playing good opponents. And that's why you've got to give credit to, one, their opponents, but their ability to come out of a of a scrap on the right side of the result. Bobby, just a question on the coaches in particular. I mean, Razi Erasmus has been a controversial figure in the past, didn't win World Coach of the Year. Obviously, he's now being courted potentially by a lot of nations around the world. Potentially a role for him in the England setup, which is something that has been talked about for a while as potentially 
actually coming in as the director of rugby. Um, how difficult do you think it's going to be now for the Springboks to rebuild? Because obviously Felix Jones is already going to England. Uh, Jacques is uh, off to Leinster. Is that going to be a big rebuilding job for them? And also, do you think that Razzie should have won World Coach of the Year? I didn't watch the awards. I'll be honest. I don't think that'll bother Rusty too much. I think he's all about the result for the team, you know. And 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 this is this is quite genuine. So Lowell will know this, you know. I mean, I played against Lowell and I hated him because he was a bloody good rugby player, you know. And but we've we've got on. He's he's annoyingly good at golf and all these other things, and he's fun to have a beer with. So we we've, we've slowly learned to get on with each other. There was potentially the three best things you could ever say to Lawrence. Well, sorry, by the way, golf, that. rugby, and a good drinker. That's all you need. <laughs> well, there you go. And it's the only reason we play, really, isn't it? But, you know, when we played against each other, we probably didn't have the time of day for each other. No. And and mm. I've got no problem with that because you want to win on the field. You know, Lowell was a winner. I was a winner. And Rossi was a winner. I played against Rossi in the same position. You know, we played in the same team, but we were provincial rivals. So I didn't want him anywhere near the number of the jersey that I wanted to wear. I did spend one year playing with him. I went to the Cats. He he retired through injury. Uh, he got a quite a bad Achilles tear, which he, he never fully recovered from. And he went into coaching and he actually started sort of semi-coaching with us and then going back into the free state side. And, you know, the change was unbelievable. It literally was scales from the eyes. I mean, there was a guy who, and he retired early, you know, at a sort of early 30s, maybe 31, 32 who'd played some amazing games for the Springboks and been a, you know, a, a Tri-Nations winner and Curry Cup winner, etc. Turning his hand to coaching, he was already innovating in his first season. You know, Free State were doing different things in the driving lineouts. They were using backs to win their own lineouts. They had flankers running in the centers. They had counter-attack play starting behind their line. I mean, you could see the innovation setting in. So I think he's been on this amazing journey of rugby with South Africa. I think he'll really struggle to just turn that around and suddenly say, OK, right, I can do all of that for England or anyone else for that matter. I know he's got a book coming out and he alludes to a few personal struggles uh, therein. And, and I think some of those are health related, etc. So I don't know how much he's going to want to commit to immediately. So I don't know if he will go straight to England or something like that. I think he would fit in like a hand in a glove at any team that was struggling to find a North Star around culture. Uh, he would fit in with any players or sort of backroom staff that were happy to work really, really hard and innovate and spend time getting their best players on the field in the right positions because that's in his makeup, you know. He is a bit of a loyalist to South Africa. Uh, he's been around the world and liked it. And I mean, he's loved in Munster, but he, he, he sort of left them at very short notice because the South Africa role came up. And I think there were a lot of people there who were disappointed because he'd already done some good stuff for them. So... I'm not sure he would just fit into an international role, but I think that might actually come from him not fitting in more than, than people not wanting him to go to the role. Can we go from the coaches then to uh, your captain, Sia Khaleesi? Not only is he an incredible ambassador for South Africa, Bobby, but also obviously for the game of rugby in general. At the end of the game, so I was there broadcasting for a Welsh channel, S4C, and minutes after he lifted the trophy and he was walking past and we happened to wave to him, he came into the studio without being asked and he stayed to answer a couple of questions. He's such an inspirational player, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And I think the most credible thing about him is that how he's taken this role. You know, he hasn't changed. He's the same kid who made his debut for the Springboks, you know, all those years ago. He was a youngster in a difficult World Cup. He, you could see he wanted to be a bigger part of it. He was given the leadership role by Erasmus, who I think actually saw more in Sia than Sia saw in himself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes you've got to be given a bit of a, a mantle to actually start to aspire to it. So I think he's been amazing. He's a great ambassador for our country. And 
over and above all of that, he's a bloody good rugby player. <laughs> you know, he makes yeah. incredible contributions. And the Springboks rank themselves on these battle stats. You know, these uh, how many extras are you doing? You know, assisted tackle, uh, assisted carry, lifts in line outs, work uh, around the, the ruck and, and mall area. And he's just amazing and has been amazing for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Bobby, I mean, listen, we know that the data and the science and everything that Razzie and his coaches are doing played a big part in their success. Their selections were, you know, spot on. But do you not think that the, ultimately maybe the difference in South Africa at the moment is that the narrative that they're able to use, Sia Khaleesi probably epitomises it, is that uh, the pressure is a privilege. And the game is very technical, as we know. It's quite tactical. And we'll talk about New Zealand and their failings really in the final but do you not think that South Africa more than any other team are able to push and pull those emotional levers to really squeeze out the kind of every last drop of resilience and commitment it felt to me like a game that New Zealand wanted to win but because of what's going on in South Africa South Africa didn't lose yeah, I mean, Lol, you've summed it up perfectly, you know, and to be honest, I've watched quite a lot of your recent stuff with kids from underprivileged backgrounds, and it's the same narrative, you know, when you've got nothing to lose, you know, and everything to lose, in the same sentence, it, it, it becomes your your everything. I mean, Rossi Erasmus, I, I caught the end of a, a documentary where he said, guys, do me a favor, don't be the kind of player I was. You know, that's a big statement to say. Eh? Don't be the kind of player I was where I was given something on a plate and I did okay with it. You guys are, are given something here. It's not on a plate. You've had to take it, but you can do everything with it. And I think that all these players are absolute epitomes of that. I mean, one of my players of the final was Dion Fury. You know, he missed a few lineouts. The guy's 38 years old. He made his debut, you know, 18 months ago. Yeah. Now the guy's winning a, a World Cup final playing 77 minutes. He hasn't played starting position in any team for about six years because he's, you know, he's seen as an impact player. Bongio Manambi goes down and he comes on. Then you've got Kwaka Smith. His battle stats are through the roof. And I think these guys actually, they've taken on board exactly what you said. Well, they, they're saying we can't lose, not because it's a privilege, but we because we owe so many people so many things. And that's a huge burden to take on. But if you take on that kind of pressure, then the result actually looks after itself. I mean, I just wanted to talk about New Zealand for a second because they did play their part in the final. But uh, I was sat on the touchline at the pleasure of being in between sort of Andrew Mertens on one side and George Gregan on the other. So <laughs> I sort of really understood what it must be like to make some serious decisions on the field. But Bobby, were you surprised at the way that the... Kiwis played in the opening 20 minutes because I was I thought it looked like it was premeditated it was probably the hardest it had ever rained in the tournament and we used to have a rule when we played South Africa nothing behind the gain line you know nothing behind the gain line and yet they were running six, seven, eight phases in their own half and George Gregan and I were looking at each other going what are they doing they're utterly mad and I think as soon as the rain stopped I thought that they looked like the sharper side but the problem was that they were already 9-3 down they didn't even get into the South African 22 before they'd considered nine points. Yeah, I mean, and it's a great point. I think if I had to rank the two teams out of 10 for the final, I would give South Africa a higher rank for delivering on what they wanted to deliver. I would give New Zealand probably 15 out of 10 for the way they played uh, their quarterfinal. And that, you know, absolutely flawless rugby. I mean, they, they didn't drop a ball. They had 100% possession, etc. They didn't give a, a scrum away to Ireland. But they did to South Africa. They made a few mistakes. And I think South Africa, when they see the manifestation of what the coaches have been talking about, they say, listen, guys, if we just keep tackling them, they will drop the odd ball. And then Peter Steff comes racing out the line and hits Geordie Barrett. New Zealand were on the attack for the first time inside the 10-meter and Geordie Barrett not looking, he was looking for the long pass and he got hit out of the line, knock on South Africa's scrum. You know, then 
ball on the side, boot out, South Africa line out. And, and just, I promise you, I mean, uh, Lawrence, you can attest to this. These games are won on and lost on literally one thing. You know, one long range kick. You know, New Zealand missed two kicks. Well, they, they, elected, they elected not to take uh, three kicks. Well, sorry, they had, they had, yeah. they had so, three kickable opportunities they didn't take. Yeah. I and mean, then that, they I, had a long range kick they missed. I so you could potentially that. say out of 12 points, yeah. they decided not to take nine of them, yeah. you know, and then missed one of them. And the one, and the one they missed was probably the hardest one. And, and yeah. he, he should take no blame for. Uh, no, you know, no, no. For, I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that yeah. they. You know, Pollard had a, the same length kick and got it. Yeah. So on that final, South Africa delivered on what they wanted to deliver. And I feel tremendously sorry for New Zealand because of the journey they've been on. I love Ian Foster. He's a great guy. I mean, I've got to say, Razor Robinson coming in, he's going to be amazing. He's going to take on that culture to the next level. But New Zealand, you know, three, four weeks ago, what they've achieved with where they were yeah, is true. amazing. A couple of quick questions before we say goodbye, Bobby. Sam Kane, heartbreak for him personally. How do you stop moments like that haunting you forever as a player? Look, I think Sam has already made a few comments about it and, you know, he said he'll have to live with it and he's got a pretty stoic answer to all of those kind of things. He's a gentleman of the game. He's a great player. He's achieved so much with this team. For that to happen in a final was disappointing. It certainly doesn't define him as a player, as a captain, as a leader or as an individual. I think he's a great rugby player. I think he's a great servant of the game and, you know, certainly, you know, all kudos and respect to him as a leader of the All Blacks. And finally, Bobby, the Springboks, they're now the first men's team to win four World Cups. Um, what will this mean for South African rugby and its future? It means a lot. You know, South African rugby is, has been at a, a junction for a while now. We've headed north instead of south in, the, in our domestic rugby. And I think the URC and our inclusion in EPCR uh, rugby and, and certainly, you know, Champions Cup rugby is very, very good for South Africa. And I think this win will boost that. It'll boost participation and numbers from kids in parts of South Africa that we can only dream about um, how hard and difficult the existence is. But now again, the locks will be taken off the rugby club and the and the school teachers will be out there coaching and <laughs> saying one day you can grow up and be a Sia Khaleesi. And, and if we can get m more people playing in South Africa, I think we've already proved we've got quite a lot of talent. If we can get more, then, then more talent gets put into that funnel and more comes out the top and that benefits South African rugby. So that's what I'm hoping this World Cup does for South Africa. Bobby, from all of us here, many, many congratulations to South Africa for an amazing World Cup win. I know you've been celebrating, but thank you for joining us, for being the only sober Springbok who's able to, <laughs> <laughs> able to actually speak coherently and sensibly. Uh, listen, you're, you're back in the UK now, so we wish you all the very best thank you that's kind of you guys great to chat thanks very much planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Okay, well, let's turn our attention to England. But before that, Lorenzo, uh, what is your big match moment of the week? The big match moment with the Samsung Galaxy Tab S9 Ultra. Bring the big match to an expansive display. Well, there's so many to choose from, isn't there, really? I could have gone for the big match moment before the match itself, which was the selection of the Springbok bench, seven forwards to one, which was a huge risk and nearly one that cost them the game. It could have been Sam Kane, the captain of New Zealand's red card, first ever red card in a World Cup final and clearly a, a big match moment. But I do feel that there was a moment in the game when New Zealand were right back in it and they had a penalty in front of the post and they did not kick the penalty. They decided to kick for the corner and the, the, I think they lost the line out or there was an issue with the line out and South Africa cleared their lines. And, you know, for me, I've turned down a shot at three points. It cost us a grand slam <laughs> in the end uh, against Wales at Wembley. I didn't realise it at the time, but that's, that's exactly what happened. And with all the incidents that took place, the big match moment, it would have put New Zealand into the lead for the very first time. And I think that that was a... That, that would have been a swing. I think that would have broken South Africa. Uh, and I think that they that they would have you know gone on and won the game. So that's my big match moment. Their decision, can't remember exactly when it was in the second half, but George Gregan and I looked at each other and thought, that is the match. Okay, join us now as we look at England's achievements is the Evening Standard rugby correspondent, Nick Perrowall. Hey, Nick. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. Are you at home, finally? You made it back. Yeah, not, home, uh, home. You're, you're home. What, what, what I used to do when I come back from a nine-week tour, you know, sort of just drop the towel on the floor. Uh, <laughs> no, but start, what, what he start has. Start swearing at every opportunity <laughs> and you're sort of eating at the table without lifting your head from the, from the dinner bowl. <laughs> no, but what he has done, and I and I have to tell the boys this, Nick, I saw Nick quite a few times out there. And on the last, you know, the final we spoke in the press room, did your wife like her beautiful blue silk scarf that you bought her as a present? Yes, she did. Yes. There, oh. there you go. Yeah. It was in very good taste, <laughs> can we, I just are we, say. Are we talking Hermes? Oh, are we, uh, no, we're talking a very nice shop. It wasn't Hermes, but it looked like a very nice, expensive shop. So, oh. But, you know, you had been away for like eight weeks, so she deserved it. it. Yes. It's better than a yes, stick of rock, would, anyway, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Good man. Welcome home, Nick. Talk to us about England. You've been following them throughout the tournament, and I mean literally following them around France. They walked away with a bronze medal, and they're probably feeling pretty pleased with themselves, all things considered. Now, they also know that they're not the third best team at the World Cup, even though they finished third. They had an easy draw, but they got progressively better. Steve Borthwick's team have finished winning six out of seven games, you know, in the last however many, three months, and they've just lost to the eventual World Cup winners by, well by a penalty goal. So uh, give us your assessment as England head home of their performance throughout this World Cup. Yeah, I think reaching the semi-final, given the draw, was really a par 
score, wasn't it? But then performing so well against South Africa, pushing them all the way is probably slightly better than they perhaps could have expected, even though they knew that they felt they had that kind of performance in them. But really, at the moment, the style of rugby they're playing will only work against certain teams. It was perfect for the weather, it was perfect for South Africa's approach. But I feel like if England had played that way against the likes of Ireland, France or New Zealand, it could have been difficult for them. And I think, you know, Steve Borthwick deserves a lot of credit for 10 months and devising a fairly simple approach that would work in the time constraints. He only had nine matches in preparation. When South Africa won the World Cup in 2019 under Rassi Erasmus, they had 18 matches in preparation. And people were saying that wasn't enough time then to build a team that could win a World Cup. So for Steve Borthwick to build a team that could finish third in a World Cup in half that time, I think that deserves great credit. The big question now is what? how do they move that forward? And how do they actually expand the game and build an attack? Because they don't really have an attack that can carve a team open at the moment. And I think one of the big questions is, who will be the personnel who can do that? Even Jamie George said after the third place playoff, he sort of admitted for the first time, England admitting for the first time, they do have to expand their attack. And and so it'll be fascinating to see what happens next. Okay, so you've spoken about a bit of a change in the guard. They need to expand their attack. Who are some of the newer England players you think that have done enough to warrant a place in the starting lineup against Italy when, when the Six Nations kicks off in February, Nick? Well, I think Ben Earl's been England's player of the tournament. And if you're thinking about the fact that in the Six Nations, he wasn't anywhere near the team, really. And Steve Borthwick told him to go away and work on several specific things. And he did that. And then some, and he's come back and he's delivered in spades, really. And I think that he's going to have to start and they're going to have to find a place for him, whether that's at number eight or flanker. And he's going to be approaching the peak of his career in the next three to four years, you'd argue. So it's time for England to make the most of that. Alex Mitchell certainly overachieved given that he wasn't even selected in the original 33. So you'd like to see guys like Mitchell kick on as well. But yeah, there is a big nucleus of players who probably won't be playing again. And that will be a big challenge for England to move past that quickly. Nick, as we're now at the start of a four-year cycle towards the Rugby World Cup in Australia, uh, is now the time to change the captain and look to the future and potentially put Ellis Genge as captain of England? No, absolutely not. Because the cycle's completely dead. Because you can go and finish third at a World Cup with nine matches. And New Zealand lost their first ever series at home to Ireland in July 2022. Joe Schmidt and Jason Ryan came in and they almost won the World Cup. So you don't need to build for four years. These test matches are really important between now and then. And what we've seen actually in one of the things that they have done, bringing back guys like Joe Marler and Dan Cole, to be honest, England would have really struggled in the scrum without those two guys. And, you know, Dan Cole's 36 and he was one of the top performers in that semi-final. And it's not just that, you know, Ben Youngs didn't play very much, but he was absolutely crucial to what Alex Mitchell was able to do on the pitch just because he was there, you know, in the week, be in his ear saying, look, this is what you need to do. This is what you don't need to do. You do need to worry about this. You don't need to worry about that. Effectively, it's an extra coach, but it's a coach for one player. And it's a player who'd never been in a World Cup before. And, you know, could have been a very difficult situation if he hadn't had somebody like that there. So I think if you started turning everything around now, I think that would be a disaster. And, you know, look at the quality of of Ireland and and France in the Six Nations. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't do what they could have done at the World Cup, but they will be extremely, extremely difficult size to beat. And I think certainly Farrell has got to play 10. He's got to be captain. And I think you can 
expand the attack with players around him. He's the best tactical kicker. He's the best tactician England have. He has to play 10 and he has to be captain. I think Farrell gets a lot of criticism, uh, which is unjustified, to be honest with you. Any 10 can only play well if their pack deliver. And I think up until the Springboks game, and maybe for 10 minutes against Argentina, I don't think the England pack were ever what I'd call outstanding at what they were doing. So, you know, there's no magician at 10. Steve Borthwick has got some big decisions to make, though. Nick, uh, he's got to rebuild the England pack, particularly in the back row. Courtney Laws has, has retired, as you said. Ben Earl, outstanding England's best forward, uh, but won't go back to Saracens to play number eight, that's for sure. So, uh, you know, is he a six? Is he a seven? Who do they bring in at number eight? Who's going to be the second row partner? Will Itoji carry on going and playing at the levels that he's been playing at? And where are we going to find a couple more props of the quality of Cole and, and Marla? And, you know, I think the performance of Theo Dan was a real positive and looks like a, mm. a natural successor. But I suppose there's a balance, isn't there, Nick? Just to remind England fans, just to bring us back down to earth, we've actually lost more games than we've won in the Six Nations for the last two years. So surely, having got England back to winning ways, having won six out of seven, you know, Steve Borthwick will want to set England an objective of winning more games than they lose in next year's Six Nations. And I think that that's absolutely right. And I think that um, it's got to be about careful progress now. But I think the thing is, the game plan that was crucial for the World Cup, given the time, I don't think it will be enough. So... They do have to add an extra attacking layer to that. So I think they've probably got to start doing something different with the centres as well. I think they could really do with somebody who can, you know, provide a bit of everything from 12 because that would kind of change the dynamic of the back line a great deal. And yeah, in terms of back row, blindside will be a fascinating selection because George Martin obviously was fantastic at second row in the semi-final and he has a massive future. Just there's probably a small question mark at the moment as to whether he's potentially quite mobile enough to play six in the fastest of test match games. You look at somebody like Tom Pearson, I know that Northampton and, and he are looking at trying to add an extra line out string to his bow. And I think if he could do that, then he could potentially be somebody who would come into the equation strongly for the six shirt because he's certainly got the engine, he's certainly got the aggression. And certainly, yeah, in the front row, there's an awful lot to work on there. It's going to be bumpy in some respects, but I think they'll be trying to smooth out as many of those rough edges and certainly a few gaps in the depth chart. And that's one of the things the RFU have been fairly concerned about. And this is something that goes back a few years now to a few changes in the guard in the RFU and a few cleanouts in terms of youth coaches. And it's something that now a different regime in the RFU sort of greatly regret losing guys like John Fletcher and Russell Earnshaw and Peter Walton, you know, who are very forward thinking coaches and they're obviously applying their trade elsewhere. But it's something that England can't afford to do really, which is overlook young talent coming through because the guys who are coming through the ranks now will be the players we're expecting to rely on in 10 years time. Nick, it's great to talk to you. Please tell me you've got some time off now that you're back. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Have you? Nice. Yeah. Uh, We'll we'll (laughs) speak to you very soon. Um, Go and put your feet up. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Speak to you soon. Cheers, Nick. Cheers. Okay, so before we bid farewell, farewell. It's the same in Welsh and English, farewell, you know. Farewell. 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 You've got yeah. to get used to speaking English again now. Haven't you? <laughs> I have now, yeah, well you're right. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I have actually, yeah. Back to Premiership action on the weekend. Anyway, um, before we bid farewell to the World Cup, I'm going to ask you both to pick your favourite highlight from the tournament. Could be a game or a moment in a game. Um, and maybe also who you think the best player was and why. So um, go for it. Who wants to go first? Well, in terms of a game to watch, I have to say Portugal 
bit in Fiji. Are for you the... taking my... Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was okay. just going to say, it. for the wider implications for rugby, uh, for two so-called lesser nations to actually put on a performance like that, I thought was just a, a fantastic match. Personal highlight, I have to say, was being in Marseille for quarterfinal weekend, which has to go down as probably the best rugby weekend that we've ever had. And the atmosphere amongst the England fans after beating Fiji in that quarterfinal, it just felt like an outpouring of relief. And I'm hoping that we'll get more of that during the Six Nations. Uh, in terms of player, I mean, Ardi Surveyor for me was hands down the right choice as World Player of the Year, but I have to give special mention, I think, to England captain Owen Farrell, who finished top scorer despite missing the first two matches. Uh, he took a lot of grief during the tournament, as Lawrence has already said, but finished with 75 points, 12 conversions, 15 penalties and two drop goals. So for me, I'd give him as my player of the tournament. Can't argue with much of that, Steve. Will Jordan made the top point scorers list did, um, yes. and didn't even kick a penalty, drop goal or conversion <laughs> uh, because he finishes the top try scorer in the competition. So I think well done and special mention to him. Uh, South Africa, unsurprisingly, top defenders, something like 900 tackles they made across the whole tournament. And I think, you know, the selections of their coaches were bold and brave. But really, the quarterfinal weekend gave us a couple of games, particularly, you know, Ireland, New Zealand and South Africa, France. I can't take away from the, the final and the occasion it was and the way that South Africa played and the narrative and their fully deserving victory. But one game and one weekend you pick out would be that South Africa-France game. It was an incredible game, probably the best half of rugby I think we've seen in a World Cup for quite some time. I was just gutted that only one team could win because they both deserve to go through. They did. Okay, I'm not going to choose a quarterfinal weekend. As amazing as those two matches were, Ireland you, and Wales got knocked out. You didn't have a very good quarterfinal weekend. So that weekend. was not a good quarterfinal weekend. In the household, that's no good. In the Elgin household, in, in no household yes. I'm, so I'm definitely not going to choose that weekend. Um, you've taken the one I was going to choose about Portugal-Fiji. I just love the result of that game because Portugal were their first ever win in a World Cup. It was special. And Fiji getting through to the quarterfinals. And, and Patrick Lejiske, by the way, who coached Portugal. Better. Amazing winger from France probably didn't get any credit for that I mean the Bayon Express I think they called him an amazing amazing performance from Portugal yeah it was incredible um, so if I can't choose that because you've had it I'm going to go for maybe Wales Australia um, yeah. only because I felt like Wales kind of found their identity a little bit yes. in that game they went back to the Gats way of playing yeah. I thought for, for maybe and the I, first time since he's come yeah. back that's what we saw. I found my identity well that was well. going to say the second <laughs> point was that Lawrence uh, put on a, a Welsh jersey probably for the first time ever off the field of play probably swap jerseys did you with Wales I did, players I did swap him he's got okay. a lovely rag and bone top now that fella from Wales <laughs> <laughs> um, so that would be yeah I'll choose that as, as my game and then play I'm going to be very patriotic well actually, I'm going to choose two I'm going to choose Johnny Sexton for going out you know the way he did after giving so much to that mm. Irish jersey he's a phenomenal player brilliant person so I'm going to mention him I'm also going to mention Jack Morgan because I feel like a star has been born during this World Cup for so Wales. Khaleesi mentioned him, didn't um, he? He yeah. did mention yeah. him to us. And I just think, you know, we've known for a few years how great Jack is. I mean, he didn't get the chance under Wayne Pivak. I'm going to choose him because I think he is and is going to be a fantastic player for Wales, but I also think he's going to be a fantastic captain for Wales mm. as well. Are we going to mention the big loser of the Rugby World Cup, Mr. Eddie Jones? No, Ooh. we can't. Okay, oh dear, that was, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, I have to say, he did exclusively reveal on the podcast in May, didn't he, that he was actually going to leave the job after the World Cup which we all thought he was joking at the yeah. time, but actually it's transpired that he was serious. But Australia is a bit of a mess. I mean, Lowell, you are a proud British and Irish lion. Is that tour already looking like one that's a bit of a dead duck well, against Australia? Well, I think, um, as Nick has already alluded to, that you know maybe in cycles of World Cups and Lions tours, you think that, but actually things can change very quickly. 
Africa. So let's not write off Australia just yet. Someone could come in there, you know, they pick a uh, another coach. Could be an Australian. Ian Foster. Could be Ian Foster. Could be, um, you know. Can you imagine? Razzy Erasmus. Mm. Could be anyone these days. Nothing would surprise you in rugby union. No. Nope. Um, so if, if they do that, then uh, let's hope they get Australia back to winning ways. Yeah. Okay. Well, we better start turning our attention back to the Premiership then. Um, where, for anyone who doesn't know, the table is currently being topped by Bath and Saracens are in ninth place. Obviously, there's a long, long season ahead, but it's already looking to be a pretty exciting one. Yeah, I, I caught most of uh, the Bath game against Leicester at the weekend, which I have to say was pretty much of a thriller in the rain. Bath already were looking pretty good with Finn Russell directing operations, but Leicester obviously hadn't won a game and then uh, came back and won it with the last kick of the match. So I think uh, we can look forward to more thrills, spills and excitement, can't we, going forward? Well, listen, we're used to the last kick of the match, winning games of rugby, <laughs> whether yeah. that's in, uh, in Paris or back in the UK. Let's hope that one of the lasting effects of the World Cup is that it helps to shine a real spotlight on club and European rugby in this country and across Europe. We all love watching it and certainly needs our support. Right, that's all for this week. My special thanks to Sarah and to Steve and to Nick and also our special guest, Bobby Skinster. We'll be back with you very, very soon. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.